So you probably figured out by now we're going to go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13 will be our study for the next few minutes. So glad that you're here. And again, we are honored that we get to worship God together. And I appreciate these men who have led us in worship already today. Uh, when I read this text, Caleb read it for us a few minutes ago, so it's before you. And we appreciate uh, the way that uh, these men have already helped us to think about some of, the, uh, some of the elements of this text this morning. But when I think of this passage, um, I think of a sermon that I heard by Wendell Winkler. You guys, some of you I know remember Wendell Winkler, who was head of the Bible department at Faulkner in Montgomery for a few years. He preached at a number of different churches in Churches of Christ. And when I was younger, he was, uh, he, he died a few years ago, but when I was younger and he uh, was someone that I really looked up to and his preaching was, and his personality were just, just really pleasant and challenging. Anyway, Brother Winkler preached a sermon on this text called The Door Was Shut. And, and I can't help but think about that sermon whenever I read this text. And I almost called this sermon that, but I didn't today. I give it a different title. Uh, the Door Was Shut. And he took, he took that title and he emphasized it throughout his sermon on this text, but he took the title obviously from the text itself. There are some, Joel, Joel talked about this um, a minute ago in our thoughts before communion. There's some some, some differences in the way they did weddings back then and the fact that the door could be shut. Probably some exaggerations here. And when Jesus tells a story like this, he always uses something that the people were familiar with, but he also diverts from what they were expecting to something different. And that's often where you find the main point of the story. And this is no exception to that. And marriage customs were different than ours. They varied often from place to place. And there's some elements here that don't make sense to us because we don't do weddings like this. But I think you probably get the main gist of it. And you had some sort of a custom here, probably varied somewhat from village to village, but some sort of setting similar to what Joel was talking about a minute ago. And you've got this deal. And this is, this is where it kind of gets confusing here. But there, we do know this. There was a scenario in which the bridegroom would come and there would be bridesmaids who, were, who didn't know when that the groom was going to come. And they were supposed to be ready. And it could vary. It could vary from day to day. And so they, weren't, they didn't know when it was going to come. Now, what happens here is, is phenomenal. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And it is sh shocking. If you, were, if you were listening to this in the first century, you'd be shocked by this. This would never happen. It would never happen like this. They would never shut the door on these bridesmaids who hadn't brought enough oil. All right? that, that, that wouldn't happen. Jesus' point is a point of exaggeration to make a spiritual point. And you probably get that point. But as you, as you read about this, I mean, the way he tells the story, they would have been familiar with much of this, that they were waiting. They didn't know when the groom was going to come. They were waiting. They had these lamps and they had oil for them. But five of them had brought some oil knowing that it could be longer than they anticipated. He, he, he could delay his coming for a while for whatever reason. He could, he, could, he could come when they expected him or he could wait a little bit longer. So they, so they brought some extra oil. And, and the five foolish bridesmaids didn't do that. 
They didn't bring enough oil. The bridegroom was delayed, verse 5. They all got drowsy and slept. And at midnight, the, the groom came, and, and there was the cry, Come out to meet him, verse 6. And, and, and the bridesmaids or the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, You know, we're out of oil. Can we have some of yours? And they said, No, you can't have any of ours, because then we'll run out of oil. And then the bridegroom comes, and the party goes into the house. And this is where this great banquet would begin. It would last for a few days. And at the end of it, at the end of this celebration of the wedding, the groom and the bride would be married in the consummation, and they would live together as husband and wife from then on. But Jesus' point here, as you get this, you get this text, his point is that in a situation like that, he is exaggerating how it would have occurred, but he says, you need to be ready. And really, when you get, when you read this, I, th I think the two main points of this are, are pretty clear. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there for a second. You see this idea. There, there are two things here, all right? And I'm going to share those with you. The first one's there. He'll come suddenly. But there, there, I want you to see this in context, okay? So if you've got your Bible open, I'd, I'd love for you to turn back a, a chapter to chapter 24, and I'd like for you to see what's happening here in this section. This is often called the Olivet Discourse, the Olivet Discourse, Olivet Sermon, because it was given from Mount Olives, from the Mount of Olives. And it started with this conversation that Jesus had with some of the apostles. They were showing him the temple, and he said, you know, it's coming a day when this temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be leveled. And they said, when's that going to happen? And then he starts into this lengthy discourse about end time sorts of things. I think the way he approaches this is he first of all says, all right, there's coming a time when this temple's going to be destroyed. This city's going to be destroyed. And, and he gives some signs of that coming. And when you see this stuff happening, you know that the city's going to be destroyed before long. So he talks about that for a little while. But then he switches. Look at, look at this, if you would, in Matthew 24. You're looking at Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. I, I think the way I read this is he's been talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and, 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 and that would come about 40 years later. There would be lots of signs. The Roman armies would encircle the city and there would be lots of stuff that happened. They knew it was coming. But I think he switches here. And I think he starts saying, okay, but, but that destruction of the city is, is but a, is but a is, is sort of a foreshadowing of, of, a, of a bigger day to come, a bigger judgment to come. And so, yeah, the city's going to be destroyed, and you're going to have some, you know, some signs that will help you to anticipate when that day's coming. But of that day, of which that is but a sign, of, of that day, that, that coming day, that, that final day, that day when I come back, nobody knows. See, that's where he, Matthew 24, 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. In those days, they were eating and drinking, giving in marriage and so on, going about their daily activities. And then it happened. They didn't know when it was coming. If you, if you skip ahead, you look in verse 45 of chapter 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. You don't know when he's coming. You need to be ready for whenever that day is. That's his point throughout. And he tells the story in several different ways. If you get to our text, Matthew 25, and you read on beyond that, you'll see two further stories. The parable of the talents. The, 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 the master goes away and he leaves one with five, one with two, one with one. 
talent, a, a, a weight of money. And he goes away, and then he comes back. And, and they didn't know when he was coming back, they just knew he was coming back. And they knew that they were to be ready for it when he came back. And, and five of them had used, the, the, the one with five talents had used it wisely. The one with two had used them wisely. The one with one had used it foolishly. You see, idea of being prepared. And then the last section, Matthew 25, 31 through 46 is, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him will sit on the throne of his glory and everybody will be gathered before him. Like a, you know, he'll divide them one from another as a shepherd divides a sheep from the goats. And he goes on into this lengthy description of judgment. But I wanted you to see right in the middle of that is our text, okay? So what's he talking about here? He's talking, I think, he's talking about that final coming and he's emphasizing two things throughout all of this. He's not, he's not emphasizing, all right, study the signs of the world, study the political signs. You need to be careful to watch what's going on in, in Palestine, in the Middle East. He, he's not saying you need to be careful with, with, the, with the rise and fall of world leaders in, in the Middle East and, and, and what's going on in Jerusalem and, and what's happening in Syria and Iraq and Iran and He's not saying that. He's not saying you need to watch the European Union and, and try to discern from what's going on in Europe with the, the political system and the currency. If, if any of this sounds familiar to you, I'm talking about things that sometimes folks focus on when they're talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's not talking about looking at astrological signs. He's, he's not talking about the, the rise in the number of wars or famines or, or those sorts of things. That's not his emphasis, starting in verse 36 of chapter 24, when he points to the end. That's not what he's talking about. That's not his emphasis. His emphasis is twofold. Number one, he's going to come suddenly. All right, he's going to come suddenly. You're not going to have all these signs that precede his coming. And, and this, is, this really got big in the last century. I guess the century before that, it, it started in the 1800s, but it was also in the 1900s with some books that came out in the 1970s, and then, then when Jesus didn't come back, they were rewritten in the 1980s, and then he didn't come back, and they were written again in the 1990s. You see a pattern here sometimes with predictions about the coming of Jesus. He's coming in, you know, 19... 79. He's coming in 1999. He's coming in 2012, and or, or, or whatever. And I don't want to make make fun of that sort of thing. I'm just, I just want you to see here. Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say what's politics and what's natural disasters and try to figure out when he's going to come. In fact, he says the very opposite of that. He says that it's going to happen when you don't expect it to happen. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come like labor upon a woman who's expecting a child. You know, he uses these different illustrations. And so in our text, you know he's coming, but he's going to come suddenly. That's the point of this again and again. I'll come back to that thought in a minute. But here's the second one. And really, I think this is all that is kind of foundational for this. Be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. You don't know, right? You don't know. So be ready. I mentioned when I got up here at the beginning of our worship service that I think we don't talk about this a lot, and I, and I, and I guess I include myself in that. Probably because I don't want to be, we don't want to be associated with this, this um, you know, people holding up these, these signs and say, you know, these, these Jesus is coming soon. The, the, you know, that you've seen this on TV, right? You've, 
people on street corners holding up this. We don't want to be associated with that kind of stuff, so we don't talk about it at all. Thing is, Jesus talks about this. He, he talks about it. And he's been, he, in fact, he spends a lot of time talking about it, about it with us right here in this passage. His point is, I mean, this is a strong point. His point is, are you prepared? Are you ready for this? Are, are you anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ? It's important for you and me who get comfortable in our routines and the cycles of life, the weekly cycles, the way that things go monthly and yearly. We get older, cycle of life, you know, People get married, babies are born, people die, cycle of life. And, and what? We don't, we don't think about the fact that one of these days, God's going to interrupt that cycle, those cycles. And the world as we know it will cease to exist. Everything will be changed. Everything will be redeemed. God will be glorified ultimately, and we will be glorified and in His presence in a special way. But His point ought to be soberly considered here. So look at it again with me. The latter part of Matthew 24, he says strongly, verse 42, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He goes on down below in the last part of that chapter and he uses some graphic language that maybe ought to shock us and maybe ought to wake us up a little bit. Because, I mean, my guess is in an assembly of 300 folks or so, we got people here who aren't really spiritually awake. It's my guess. Much of chapter 24 much of chapter 25 is written for people who are spiritually lethargic, who are just kind of going through the motions, who are, I know I'm talking to people who are here, you know. I'm talking to people who are sitting in a church pew on Sunday morning, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're spiritually awake, does it? His point in our study is, are you prepared for Jesus to come again? Are you prepared for this life to end? And so that's a question that I want you to ask yourself this morning is, are you prepared? He's going to come suddenly. It may be, you know, it may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may not be in your lifetime. We don't, we don't know. God is coming. There's a sense, and, and I've been surprised by this, reading through, if you read through the New Testament, you'll notice this, if you, if you're, especially if you're kind of looking for it, uh, but how much this theme permeates the writings of the New Testament. Uh, if, if you were to go through your New Testament and just highlight or make a note of or underline references to the second coming of Jesus, you'd, I think you'd be surprised. It's all over the place. It's all over Paul's writings. Uh, certainly over First and Second Thessalonians, I mean, they're all about the second coming. But even beyond that, in, in, uh, in, in Paul's writings, in Peter's writings, in James, I mean, it's, it's, they, they, they seem to be saying, live your life in view of the fact that this is not all there is, that, that this is going to be interrupted. He's going to come back. And so be ready. So let me ask us all to do some introspection.
Are you ready? I mean, really, are you ready? If Jesus came back today, would you be ready? Are there relationships in your life right now that aren't what they ought to be? Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there someone in your life that you need to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me? Are there habits and practices in your life that you do not want to be characteristic of you when the skies open and Jesus cries out with that great shout of which Paul speaks in 1 Thessalonians 4? Are there habits, are there practices that, that you're engaged in right now? Are there things that you're doing that compromise your integrity at work? Are there things that you're doing that are inconsistent with the vows you made to your spouse years ago? Are there things that you're saying, words that you're using, jokes that you're telling, that you're laughing at, things that you're ignoring? Are there thoughts that you're thinking? Are, are there entertainment choices that you're making that you do not, that you, that you know are not characteristic, ought not be characteristic of a person who's confessed Jesus as his or her Lord and Savior. His point is there's coming a day when that door will be shut. And that lesson I was telling you about from Wendell Winkler from years back, in fact, that was the emphasis of Brother Winkler's lesson when he talked about this text. The door was shut. And his point here, and I think it's certainly something Jesus is emphasizing, his point was the finality of that day. The door was shut. And this wouldn't have happened like this in the first century. Even with their differing marriage customs, they wouldn't shut the door because you forgot enough oil, but, in, but in, forgot your oil. But Jesus, in his parable, in his telling of the story, that's one of the points he's making. When the groom comes... When the groom comes, there's not going to be this time of, this intermittent time of repentance. This time where you can get some things in order, where you've got, you know, I'm watching the world, I'm watching the signs, or, or Jesus announces he's coming and you've got a, a few minutes to get everything worked out, make some phone calls, send a few texts, you know, get some things sorted out, make some apologies, forgive some folks. Get rid of some habits. Say, oh Lord, I'm sorry for that. There's a finality about it. The door was shut. One of the parallel texts is in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I want to read just a little bit of that because Paul addresses it in some, some detail and he's writing to a church that was all confused about the second coming. And I think they were thinking they were, if you died before he came, this is at least part of it, they were thinking that if you died before Jesus came back, you missed out on it. Like you missed out on the blessings of it. So some of the folks in the church were dying and, and the rest of the church is like, oh no. You know, my, uh, my dad passed away and he's not going to get to be with Jesus because he died before they, they were confused. They thought Jesus was coming like immediately. Anyway, Paul writes this letter in part to deal with some of those, those misconceptions. And he says this, listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who, who've died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. 
For since, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall fallen asleep. For the Lord, listen to this, all right? For the Lord himself, the Lord himself, not sending an emissary, he's coming himself. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don't be upset when somebody passes away as if they're going to miss out on the blessings of the second coming of Jesus. They're not going to miss out on it. They'll be with him when he comes. But I think we need to reflect on this as well. There are two ways to view the second coming. I guess two emotions, two responses. And it's interesting. It's used in both ways. In 2 Peter 2, we talked about this a while back. 2 Peter 2, Peter's talking about second coming. And he, um, you know what he says? This ought to make you excited. He says, this is awesome. Uh, his, his language is something like this. You can hasten and you can anticipate and you can get it. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I think this is what he meant. Peter says, hey, look, church, get excited about this. He's coming back. He's coming back. All the stuff you're going through, it's not going to last forever. He's coming back. You're dealing with some very difficult things right now, but don't worry about it. The end is coming. He's going to come, and he is going to welcome you and, you know, get excited about this. This is a great thing. And Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, he, he doesn't use this as some sort of, you know, this hammer to bludgeon the people with. You need to get your life straight. Now, that's, that's not his point there. His point is, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You don't have anything to be worried about. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. All right. That's one response. I hope that's the response you've got, you've got right now. Like, you, you're thinking, man, I love sermons on the second coming. You may not be thinking that. But I hope maybe some of you are, are thinking, I love sermons on the second coming because it just reminds me of the fact that, you know, this world is not permanent like this. I mean, this is a messed up place. It's been messed up since Genesis 3. Chaos, and there's the world's messed You know, the earth itself has been... It's groaning, Paul says in Romans 8, and relationships are hard between men and women. Marriage is tough. Relationships at work are difficult because there are a bunch of sinful people in this world. In fact, pretty much 100%, isn't it? We're all messed up. So we live in a broken world, and you, you, you read a text like the one here, and, and your response is, man, I can't wait for the bridegroom to come. As Joel was talking about prior to communion, you know, this Lord's Supper reminds us of that. Reminds us of that. The bridegroom is coming. And in fact, when Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, he uses that. He says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Until he comes. So in communion, we look back to the cross. We look within us. We self-examine. We look around at one another. It's a communal thing. And we look ahead to the day when he comes back. Communion reminds us of that. So it's all... It's, introspection and, and it's just great anticipation of that of that thing of that end so 
We look around us at the brokenness of the world, and part of that, part of the reason, part of the reason you and I can make it through the brokenness and the messed up stuff that's going on around us and all this stuff. I mean, part of the reason we can do that is we know He's coming. It's a relief. Lord, this isn't permanent the way it is. The Bible uses it a different way, though. In fact, you see this a lot with Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but he uses it as a warning. For the most part, in Matthew 24 and 25, right there in the middle of our text, or surrounding our text, it's a warning. And he's trying to get folks ready. He knows that there are people who are lethargic, people who are just pew-sitters, so to speak, people who are just, you know, church attenders. And they're not really, really thinking about spiritual things. They view Jesus from a distance. They want to be connected to him in some respect. They want to be a, some, sometimes they're called the, the hangers-on. They're people around the periphery who like Jesus, but they don't want too much of Jesus. They want just enough of him so I can, so I, so I can be kind of religious. I know he's got something good, but I don't want to get too close to him because if I get too close to him, he's going to expect more than I'm willing to give. And Jesus says, you know what? This world is not going to last. Are you ready for that day? And this message is timely in any setting. It's timely in any setting and in any place and in any context and any epoch of Christian history because this is a, a part of the human condition where you and I get comfortable. I mean, we just do. It's just what we do. We just get comfortable. And Jesus says... The door is going to shut. It may be shut because you draw your last breath. It may be shut because he, he shouts that cry of command from the clouds. But either way, the door is going to be shut. And so if there are habits, if there are relationships, if there are priorities that need to be changed or realigned, while we've got breath and prior to that cry of command, we need to make those changes. And I urge you, I beg of you, if you're, not, if you're not in the right kind of relationship with Jesus Christ, this text ought to scare you to death. I hope it brings joy to all of you, but I'm guessing it doesn't. I hope it brings joy to all of us and comfort and, and, and a sense of relief. Yes, I need to be reminded of that because I'm looking forward to that day. But... But if it doesn't bring joy, if it brings you a sense of trepidation, then what in the world could cause you to continue on in rebellion to the one who died for you? The door will be shut. His last words in this parable, verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Is your lamp... burning or is it going out what's there for for you know neither the day nor the hour if your lamp is going out I want to urge you maybe something you need to take care of between you and the Lord just, just privately just get on your knees this afternoon and talk to him for a while he you know, you know him right you know the Lord he will come running he will open up his arms. He will forgive. I mean, he, he, will, he will overwhelm you with love and grace and forgiveness. 
if you ask him. That's the beauty about being a Christian is just the kind of Lord that we serve. Make things right with the Lord, with the one who created you, if there are things in your life that aren't what they ought to be. We urge you to do that. Maybe it's something we can help you with, then we will help you however we can. If you're not a Christian, we urge you to hear the words of Jesus in this sense. There's, we, we do live in a world that's passing away. It's just inevitable. This, this world is passing away. Why don't you confess the name of Jesus today and put him on in baptism today while you have time and before that door shuts? We invite you to come this morning if you need to. Let's stand and sing this song.